everybody. Um, I'm Josh. And I'm Tamara. And this is Hex Files. And um, what are we going to talk about tonight? Weird Something different. stuff. Weird stuff. So you might be like, you motherfuckers always talk about weird stuff. But it's more weird because these are real things. Yeah. I'm not saying Bigfoot's not real. I'm just saying. We, um, <laughs> we'll have to go in the story of why we wanted to do this. And then, um, then we're going to tell you some weird shit that we thought were weird. It's like mind blowers, like <laughs> Morty's mind blowers, but, <laughs> but tomorrow's, tomorrow's mind blowers, but it also is blowing my mind. Yeah. Some of them. Consider a blown. Um, so what were we coming back from? Um, hiking. Yes. At grandfather mountain in Western North Carolina. And it's a very rigorous hike. We had to climb ladders and use cables it's classified as advanced. Yeah. <laughs> I meant to post pictures. I'll have to do that still. Yeah. Because um, I'm wearing a, a very special piece of merch that is coming. And speaking of merch, um, if you want Hex Files merch, you can get it um, on... We have a Teespring. We have a Threadless. And you can um, go to the link in our bio on Instagram. Um, I forgot to post links to the other one in the show notes. So I'll post them in this show notes. I'll try to remember. <laughs> but we've got those. We've got pins that glow in the dark. So um, we've got an investigation coming up and we're using those proceeds to help to uh, fund that too. So um, Big your... investigation collaboration project. Yeah, we're going to go in July to uh, Indiana to investigate an asylum and a... Prison. Prison with a bar in yes. the jail. And this, this is not just your <laughs> dream. This is also our dream. Right. And this is um, with Sharice Williams and the um, friends of ours from Ghoul's Trip blog, Hannah and Ivy. Mm-hmm. But yes, they're going to come. So we'll have this cool investigation. We're going to do two things. We'll have podcasts about it. We'll probably have YouTube videos about it. We're sleeping overnight in the locations. Yeah, we're staying the night in those places. So you're um, not only can you wear merch that makes people question your sanity it also makes you hike faster yeah and um climb up ladders when you're scared of heights yeah um but that being said on our way back it was nighttime and you had this whole thing happen first yeah so you know how sometimes kind of you see things and there's a little part of your mind that says maybe they're not real, but maybe they are, but you're okay with that, and that's fine, because you're used to seeing things that are maybe not real. Mm, is that just me? Anyway, we were coming down the highway, and basically in the part of North Carolina that I used to live in, and I realized I was seeing these little flashes of light in the tree line, and anybody that's grown up in the country knows what lightning bugs are. I think the rest of the world calls them fireflies. But um, I thought I saw a red one. And I was like, no way. And kind of brushed it off. And then I saw a couple of green ones, some yellow ones, pretty common. And then I started seeing blue ones. And I thought, surely no. I'm not seeing the blue ghost fireflies of lore. But I actually was, I think. So I was driving, and of course it was harder for me to see them because of, you know, driving and lights and stuff. 
But when I started looking, I started seeing them, and they were like thousands of them in the trees. Like fireworks almost. Like if you're familiar with lightning bugs, you know they um, they come out, and there's usually like, there can be a bunch of them, but like, this was like stars, like just tons of them. And they don't, I've never really seen them that high before. Yeah. Like they were in the treetops. Yeah. And throughout the trees. I mean, from the ground to the treetops. From the windows to the walls, these motherfuckers were lighting up. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, I believe you when you say you saw blue ones, but I'm like, fuck, I'm never going to see a blue one because they're they're rare. And for we'll get into, like, weren't even sure they existed, but they do exist. They do exist. But in a very one-spot place. Yeah. So we shouldn't even be seeing them, one, there, and we shouldn't be seeing them, two, up that high. Um not to give away where we live for, like, the creepers, but... Um, hey, creepers. It was going down uh, 321 and not far outside of the mountains. Yeah. On your way to, like, Gastonia and shit. Yeah. So, I mean, people know we live in Charlotte. What the fuck? Yeah. I don't know why I'm trying to be all, like... But anyway, if you live around that area, um, you'll have to let us know if you noticed any... Um, more, and I'm like, well, what, why would there be so many? I'm like trying to think in my brain, like, are there, was it because we didn't have a super cold winter? Like, there were so many. I have not seen this many lightning bugs since I was a little kid living out on the dirt road with my nearest neighbor a 10 minute drive away. Well, most people, I think, know what lightning bugs are, but if you don't, if you're listening and you don't have them, they live in the ground as they develop. And then they come out and they light up to attract mates and to talk to each other. And They um, flash their little butts. Yeah, they flash their butts. And um, the weird thing about it is they they usually come out in summer. And right now it's been a little cold. It's been hot, then cold, then hot, and then cold. And it's been North Carolina. Yeah. So I wasn't expecting to see lightning bugs, one, Two, not expecting to see that many. Three, not expecting to see that high. And then I start seeing blue ones. Like, one for every, like, couple hundred you see, you would see, like, a blue one. And it was, like, this, not electric blue, but, like, an icy white blue. Yeah. Definitely not the green or yellow of a typical lightning bug. And I've heard tales about them. And some people have said that they don't really exist, so I thought. But apparently they do. They clearly do. But they only exist in one place. And where is that? It's in Western North Carolina. Like, right outside of Asheville in a very, yeah. like, I don't even know the square acreage, but they don't exist very, it's not a big spot, right? No. Let's see what the internet says. Let me tell you straight from the Google's mouth. But, before we get into this, um, this is what we did. We looked it up because, you know, we go on those Google kicks where it's like, let's just look it up. We have the world's knowledge, for better or worse, at our fingertips. We have Janet. Janet, um, we just watched The Good Place, so that was, um, <laughs> but what's funny is, like, so we looked at that, and then we started talking about weird stuff, and was like, that would make a good episode, because there's some weird shit that is real, that doesn't seem like it should be real, and also kind of blew our minds, and so we're going to share some of those things with you, um, starting with the, uh, the fireflies that have a name. The blue fireflies? Flyerflies? Flyerflies. They're called the rare blue ghost fireflies. Yeah. Y'all, they're blue lightning bugs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
And, and where does this come from? Where does this This article... is from discovery.com, a very reputable source, not Romantic Asheville, like most of our articles. First of all, you can't tell me that Romantic Asheville does not throw some truth out there. Oh, they do. Um, that's how we found about Bigfoot. Bog Bigfoots was oh, in the Romantic the, Asheville. Um, the rare Appalachian bog habitat. Yes. Um, that Bigfoot loves. Uh, but what's crazy is um, Discovery. I have a Discovery Plus subscription, so um, they they can't be wrong. They have to be right. I give them money. Right. Clearly. <laughs> but this says for just two to four weeks a year, blue ghost fireflies make an appearance around Asheville, North Carolina. This rare type of firefly only grows during mating season, which begins in late spring or early summer. The color isn't the only unusual quality about these otherworldly insects. While other fireflies flash on and off like a warning light, blue ghosts glow for up to a minute at a time. And apparently they just hover over the ground. But that's not exactly what we saw because these motherfuckers were popping off. Right. They were up in the trees. Even though we're telling you about blue fireflies, it still doesn't explain why we were seeing blue ones. And you saw a red one, but apparently that's... That happens. Yes, it's incredibly rare, but I did see a red one. I did. I did see a red one. And we're talking about, like, we're in a part where there's, like, mostly country and woods. So there's, yeah. it's not like you're passing a highway where you're seeing, like, tail lights off in the distance. Well, not in a tree. They kind of reminded me of the Brown Mountain Lights. They and did. Said. We'll have to go back this year, but. Um, and it was, like, that mesmerized, like, awestruck staring out your window with your mouth open like a little kid looking at christmas lights we did that for a good part of the trip i mean i was being responsible but we were still looking at them motherfuckers yeah we were driving slower and what's weird is they don't basically what did it say like the female doesn't can't fly yeah she just sort of hovers over the ground just a couple of inches off the ground but these pictures you'll have to google them they look insane because it looks like it looks fake and when you google them it looks photoshopped some of them might be the ones that we saw were not as blue as indigo blue as the ones on the internet but they were definitely blue especially beside the yellow green ones well the fact is the males stay on the females stay on and they all stay near the ground yeah so that's why it looks like the floor is lit with like stars amazing in these pictures yeah i can't wait to see those but they do tours right yes you can book a tour of course they can't um guarantee that you'll see them but well they're expensive tours oh it was like 150 dollars right so if you want us to go see the blue fireflies you have to donate money um (laughs) (laughs) just kidding or if you go can we come too well i'm sure if you know of a spot and you've been like let us know um I think I talked about them on Cursed one time. We were talking yeah. about them. And apparently there's spots that you can see them. So we'll see. Um, we'll have to go. I mean, but they're only around for like, what, three weeks? Yeah, two weeks. Their season is really, really short. So we started talking about bioluminescent and talking about how weird it was that they glow. It's like a chemical reaction or something. Yeah, and I found out that I was a monster for having learned to smear their little glowing bodies onto your shirt and skin because they continue to glow even after you smear them. And kill them. Yeah. Um, 
But that brought me back to thinking about this crazy thing I came across when we were talking. It was a Hex Files when we were talking about something glowing, right? Yeah. And somehow we got into the fact I happened to glance by something. Maybe it was the pterodactyl episode. I don't know. This is a good time for you to go back and listen to all the X-Files and tell us which one. But um, <laughs> it was, I mentioned this luminescent owls, which is weird to me because uh, I don't know. I never actually looked it up. But in the episode, I said, I'll have to look into that and we'll have to talk about it. And I never did. Yeah. Well, guess what? Like so many things. Um, so then I'm trying to figure out, do owls glow? Um, so this has come, I've got two articles here. One's very short and the other one might be short too, but this is from weirdanimalreport.com. I can't think of a better site name. Yeah. I want to work there. And it says, I ran across the phenomenon of luminescent owls when I was writing about orbs recently. I had never heard of glowing owls. I live in the woods and there are a lot of owls here. Period. Period. I've heard the calls of five different species and had the plants... The pants scared off of me by a barn owl once. Because barn owls sound like a woman screaming. Yes, a murderous scream. But I've never seen a glowing owl. First on the glow itself, there are two theories. One, reflection. Barn owls in particular have a high... I read that. I read that as uh, libido. Which they probably do. Barn owls in particular have a very high albedo. Which is a measurement of how much light reflects off of them. And it's true. On even a partly moonlit night, a barn owl can reflect a lot of moonlight at the right angle. And these look like greys. Shout out to Erica at Nightgeist. Who loves greys. They're her favorite. E.T. is her best. Yeah. Also, if you're walking across the road to get your mail from the mailbox in the dark, take it from me. A barn owl can very effectively flash in the moonlight right in front of you. And then theory number two, fungus. There are several species of bioluminescent fungus in single-celled organisms. Because the owls often nest inside hollow, rotten tree trunks, their feathers could become contaminated by these fungi. Glowing owls have been spotted several times throughout history by fairly reputable witnesses. I found an old article in the New York Times published February 2nd, 1908, which collects accounts of glowing owls in and around London. Oh. In North No Folk, I think that's the other article I have, a pair of glowing owls was repeatedly seen almost every night hawking like barn owls along the hedgerows. Another series of sightings took place in Ireland in 1911. The ferryman at v- Villierstown spotted the owls crossing back and forth across the river many times and frequently pointed them out to passengers. One person in this account claims to have owned an owl, which could glow at night, but only when it was sick. In another account, the strange flying light was shot and found to be a poor old half-starved barn owl. These accounts of glowing owls being sickly ones supports the fungal theory. A sick owl would less likely to groom itself properly, which would allow hitchhiking organisms like bioluminescent fungi to take hold. Additionally, the fungus itself might have been making the owl sick. Birds have exceptionally delicate respiratory systems, and inhaling fungal spores can be extremely bad for them. They sound like me. <laughs> it must be said that another tale of luminescent owls started out as a viral ad campaign by LG, but has spread to take on a life of its own. In early 2009, LG began dribbling out bits of video about the legendary owl of the Smomot tribe. The video is pretty obviously fake. It purports a f- to follow an obscure African tribe, which has formed a partnership with a group of owls that basically can use their eyes as flashlights. LG won several awards for this ad campaign at the time. Okay. But the website it was pushing flex. people towards has become a parking page for 
Domain Squatter, which only deepens the mystery. Nevertheless, you heard it here first. The Smamot tribe in Africa and their legendary glowing owl hunting deer what? are 100% fake. No. Thank you. And then, um, so this is uh, an article from Eastern Daily Press. Weird Knower Folk, the mistress, mistress, the mistress, the mysterious glow of silent hunter in the skies. Long before the giant and Twin Peaks told Agent Dale Cooper, Norfolk knew that owls were not as they seem. I have not watched Twin Peaks. It's always something new with these motherfuckers. Right. <laughs> For more than a century, there have been reports. They have long leggies. They do. So cute. For more than a century, there have been reports of glowing owls streaking across country skies, county skies, in the dark of night. Luminous birds that appear like flying specters. Feathered ghosts causing those that see them to believe they had seen something truly otherworldly and if you haven't listened to hex files before this is i'm very drunk i'm not even drunk i'm just I'm buzzed, not even but drunk it's I'm wine very... day it's national wine day is it yes no well i'm having a very hard time reading having a nice rosé for wine day Ooh, there's a map on here about like all the weird spots look at these ghosts so tell me would this not be your perfect evening eat some luminescent mushrooms be surrounded by blue red yellow and green fireflies with a couple of glow-in-the-dark leggy boys swooping through. Like that. With the brown mountain lights also. Well, I'm wet. And yeah. this is a lot of lights. I love it. It's it, like a nature rave. Um, Okay, well, this is in West... Philadelphia. <laughs> building near King's Lynn in 1897. Gamekeeper Frederick Rolfe was out late at night when he saw a bright blue light fly close to his face. The object appeared several more times that night, and he returned on subsequent nights with his gun to try and discover what it was. At last I saw the light skimming over the ground, he explained. I waited until it was within a few yards of me, then fired at the light. It being dark, you might fancy my surprise when I found a barn owl dead on the ground. Walter Rye, who wrote about a similar creature in Folsham in February 1907, wrote more than 80 works about Norfolk, including one which he wrote about strange lights that and luminous owls in the county. He was desperate to spot a glowing owl himself, spending nights with his friend R.J.W. Purdy in the hope of spotting one. Are we sure that's why they were spending nights together? No, I don't believe it. If I didn't see the luminous owl myself, I certainly caught the worst cold I have ever had while waiting to do so, he wrote. A year later, the EDP reported another glowing owl. Edward Connell of Lower Heldest... Heldsden caught the luminous owl in darkness at around 6 a.m., which later died from purely natural causes. Minutes later, sus. I saw something shining on the grass bank, which for the moment startled me, said Mr. Connell. It fluttered down across the path and got up against the grapevine. I had no trouble in catching it, and I did not hurt it in any way. I swear to God, I promise this thing died when I found it. I'm just kidding. I made that last part up. <laughs> it was an owl, and it was bright and luminous. I carried it indoors and put it on a stool and went in the garden again. When I came back into the house, the bird was dying. I think it was dying when you could pick it up and put it on a seat. Yeah. Um, it was still luminous, but perhaps the glow was not as strong as when I first saw it. When I came into breakfast, the bird was quite dead. Its light had quite gone out. dead indeed. It should be pointed out that Mr. Cottle worked at the place where he described seeing owls rather than being a patient. I have no doubt at all that the bird was luminous when I first saw it first. There were a number of owls that fly about among the trees at the asylum every night, but I have never seen a luminous one before. Whoa. The asylum. He didn't start out with that. Buddy. 
1921, a luminous barn owl was spotted over the marshes at Hattisco in February, and almost a year later in January, at Rochelle near Harleston, a glowing barn owl was spotted by three witnesses, one of whom described it as being like a pale star. The ornithological notes... <laughs> I did it! From Norfolk by, for 1922 by J.H. Gurney said, No better theory has been suggested than that originally advanced, which subscribed it to contact with the luminous touchwood supposed to be produced by certain mycelium-forming fungi. Phosphorescent bacteria are liable to exist in a set seat of decay and putrefaction, and a bird living in a hollow tree might be expected to rub against fungus growth. In addition to glowing barn owls, tree-nesting ducks have also been seen to glow after roosting in tree stumps, covered in light-emitting fungi which glow to attract night-flying insects which can disperse spores to spread the fungi over a greater area. Of 85,000 species of fungi, only 65 species glow. Damn. Many believe that it's fungi that accounts for glowing owls, although if you're keen to capture a will-o'-the-wisp yourself, head to a deep, dark area of no fork, no, Norfolk woodland and try your luck lifting sections of rotting wood in the dark. If you're lucky, you'll catch a glow and a hint of a truly magic mushroom. If you're fortunate, the log lady might be available to point you in the right direction. What? Well, we're going to have to read more about the log lady at another I time. I love her. First of all, I love the idea that it could be these fungal spores, especially if it's so rare. But like, yeah, I thought that was weird. Glowing owls. I followed up on it. I finally did it. I can't wait to see a glowing owl or a glowing mushroom. And when I do, I will cry. I'm going to eat it. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, then it will give you superpowers to glow, like the log lady. Yeah, I will become the log lady after that. <laughs> um, Tell my friends I loved them. But again, this ties into a whole brown mountain thing. Glowing owls, fireflies. So then we started talking more about weird animals. Um, and how we want to see owls that glow. And all kinds of weird stuff. And I was like, hey, have you ever heard about those jellyfish that can't sting? And you were like, what? No. What the hair? Yeah. And I was like, nah, dude, nah, dude, nah. There's like, uh, these marine lakes around the world that have sort of like through the evolution of the land as the land masses change kind of trapped off what was seawater and become lakes and landlocked these jellyfish and over time they've evolved to be stingless and you can go and swim with them and just blob around in this primordial boba tea of stingless <laughs> jellyfish and bop them on their heads and bloop 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 yeah my whole thing them. of like the only reason I didn't want to swim with a bunch of jellyfish is because they sting. But now that I know they're stingless, I would love me being someone who just absolutely loves the feeling of something brush up on their leg in the ocean. Can't wait to get in a pool, a pond, a lake of primordial jellyfish that can't sting. Well, I hate lakes. It sounds ponds, gross to me. But I love jellyfish with my whole heart. I appreciate them. I don't want them touching me. I want to boop them. I want to squish them, not too hard. The regular amount of hard. Yes. I want to volley them around under the water just a little bit. I want to like squiggle through them wanna, like an otter. Do you want to rub them on your shirts? Like, I don't want to. Ma I don't mash stuff and rub it on my shirt anymore. <laughs> I've grown. I've learned. I've, I've changed. Yeah. Um. So, do you have any? Do you have something about yeah. those? These jellyfish are quite real. 
Um, and this is from the New York Times. They reported on the pygmies that we have undoubtedly proved to be plausible. <laughs> <laughs> in Kakabon Island, Indonesia, bracing for death, a swimmer takes a breath, slips into the lake, and is soon surrounded by hundreds of pulsing orange jellyfish. He must be very careful, for his next move in the water could prove fatal. Dun, dun, dun. But it's not the swimmer's life who's at risk. It's the jellyfish. A bump from the swimmer could mean a death sentence. So you're going to boop them and kill them? No, I'm not going to boop them anymore. Okay. I'm not going to boop them anymore. Gotcha. <laughs> in a rare marine lake on a hatchet-shaped atoll in Indonesia, four species of jellyfish have evolved in isolation and lost their ability to sting humans. There are believed to be millions of these benign jellyfish in Kakabon Lake, which has become a popular spot for tourists intrepid enough to reach the remote archipelago known as the Darawan Islands. It's a fragile ecosystem, and these animals are vulnerable to both climate change and the growing number of visitors who casually invade their space. I would like to retract my previous statement of all of my statements and... Why do we have to, like, these people that are like, oh, it's a fragile e fragile ecosystem. Let me, I want to swim in here. Like, I understand doing research and stuff and, like, trying to be careful and, like, see what it looks like. But hopefully they don't just let anybody swim in Oh, there. God, they do, because tourism. Oh. Oh, colliding with one of these delicate fish easily injured jellyfish can spill its doom as a wounded jelly is far more susceptible to being nibbled to death by the small fish also inhabiting the lake. For that reason, swimmers are allowed to use flippers and are urged to swim as slowly and gently as they can. But the jellyfish are so numerous, it can be hard to avoid harming them, so don't fucking do it. So don't these people are there. basically like, well, I can't help but kill some of them, but I still want to do it for the sake of doing it right sounds like real fun yo so i'm just gonna do it dude i hope they hope they evolve soon to to be sting stinging i would like to donate to their stinger fund right can you kill these people i can not actually. you personally oh 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 no <clears throat> as more tourists arrive the dangers to the jellyfish are escalating Gross. At times, the wooden dock at Kakabon Lake gets so crowded with divers in their Ew. black wetsuits that they resemble sea lions basking in the sun at San Francisco's Pier 39. Hey. I hate them. I hate them. Right. I hope they get salmonella. Leave them the fuck alone. Like, yeah. go swim in the normal ocean toe-to-toe -to -toe with a man of war. Right. If you want to see jellyfish so fad, go to the aquarium or just go to the ocean. Like, you suck. You don't deserve this. What about a perfect jellyfish utopia where they don't have to sting, they don't have predators, and here comes some kind of fucking bootleg-ass sea lion human motherfucker messing everything up? Hate it. I hate it, too. And it's like, it's bullshit because of course we would. Of course we take something that's like, oh, I don't have to sting anything because I'm pretty much just safe here by myself. And it's like, let's fuck them up. And then that's like... That's like finding a lake where all the sharks' teeth didn't evolve, so they just don't eat any. They don't have sharpy teeth things. Yeah, they're and, chomp chomp. Yeah, and then people are like, let's swim with all these sharks. But also, if you accidentally touch them, they die, and they're like, worth it. Ride a shark! 
Why don't you swim with real sharks, you bitch? Hate it. If you want to fuck them up. Okay, well, but then, so jellyfish, some jellyfish glow is under UV, and some glow anyway. But when you're talking about glowing things, we got into, because time permits, we got into, um, I was telling you about glow worms. Ew. Um, it's only going down here from, hill from here with gross stuff. But, um, so there's glow worms, and we were talking about the, how they look like in the caves. Um, and these look similar to the blue fireflies in pictures. It doesn't look real. It looks like the fucking space spas. Spas. Um, yeah, we really have to stop talking about night guys. They're going to like want to network with us or something. Um. You're going to think we have a crush on them. Right. We do. Um, but not as much as like they like aliens. Oh yeah. They're never going to love us that much. And so these glow worms, like what they do, and I'll read an article because I'm going to fuck it up, but I was trying to explain it to you and they like secrete strings, right? Or are they the strings? I'll They're remember. icky slime. Um, this is from culturetrip.com and this is, these are the most spectacular glow worm caves in the world. Glow worms typically, typically found in New Zealand and Australia cover cave ceilings and undisturbed woodland areas where they hunt for prey using their alluring blue glow and long thread of sticky web. As they fish for food, glowworms create an astonishing sea of starry lights. Below are the top ten glowworm caves, forests, and grottos you don't want to miss. And don't then, want to go into. Right. And then it talks about them. But basically, uh, we were talking about these worms because you don't like worms. I think worms are fine as long as they don't touch me or look at me. Um, <laughs> and like, it kind of looks like, let's see. Um, I was trying to read more about it. That looks like, that's not the same glowworm. That looks like a, um. It's like a million tiny stalactites of slimy, goozy ooh dripping down off the ceiling, but it glows. Yeah, because they put like these little lights on their webs or they like hang from them. I don't know what they do, but they're, they're fucking weird and they're gross. Um. But cool. And I'm trying to find... And it makes me feel very betrayed about my glowworm toy that I had as a child because I thought it was my friend. Oh, yeah. I remember that. The yeah. little squishy boy. Yeah. Um, so this is from thenewscientist.com. Cave glow... Oh, it gets worse. Cave glowworms vomit long sticky urine threads to catch prey. They did not hold back on that. Um, Ew. Water and wee. That's what New Zealand glowworms used to build sticky traps to ensnare their prey. I'm not going to try to read their Latin name, but they live in wet caves, spending about nine months as a larva before growing wings and turning into a fungus gnat that survives for just a few days, during which time it mates. In the larval form, the glowworm builds a mucosis tube, a mucus tube? They, you know, that's how they spell, up to 40 centimeters along the cave ceiling. It then shuttles back and forth along the tube, spewing dozens of long silk threads from its mouth that it leaves dangling from the tube. Each thread is up to half a meter long and beaded with sticky, mucus-like droplets. These droplets trap fly insects attracted to the blue-green light emitted by the tail of the larva. Once the insect is stuck, the larva uses its mouth to haul up the fishing line and swallow the prey. Although this process has been studied with the naked eye, the composition and mechanism of the sticky droplet traps were unknown. To address this, Janek von Beren at the University of Vienna, Austria, and his colleagues analyzed droplet samples from two glowworm caves 
in Waitamo on the North Island of New Zealand. The droplets were found to be composed of 99% water and 1% glue. Oh, they just have glue? They just make glue. Is it like school glue? The glue was made of urea and yet to be identified peptide. Glowworm urine is most likely... Magic. ...is the most likely source of this urea. Urea is common waste product in insect urine and also everything. You have it inside of you. The glowworm was inside of you all along. And then it says, uh, the next step would be to confirm that urea from urine can travel from the gut up to the mouth and be secreted onto the threads. The stickiness of the water droplets may be due to the urea itself or to its effect on the surface tension of the water. It does say urea is a common waste product in insect urine and also used in several industrial glues. The droplets appear to have lower surface tension, which insects hit them, the water rapidly spreads over them. Weird. A previous theory was that the droplets contained oxalic acid to poison the prey, but no traces of the substance was found. Oh, oxalic acid. Yeah, that's in like sorrel and um, spinach, and it tastes a little bit sour and delicious. Hmm. Hmm. The research definitely contributes to our understanding of how glowworms catch food. Um, says Miriam Sharp at the University of Otago in New Zealand. However, she says that the complete composition of the glowworm glue, including the mysterious peptide, must be determined before its mechanism can be fully elucidated. So basically... They're like a little bug. Word. And they stick to the roof of a cave and they pee slime out of their mouth and then use their glow butts to light up the slime and the glow slime attracts bugs and then they slurp up that big pee lug and then Ugh. eat the bug. Ew. You, yeah. When you say it like that, it sounds gross. Yeah, they are gross. Um, but it's like, just look at pictures and then you're like, oh, wow, that's so beautiful. But it's worm piss and mucus hanging down from this cave. And now I have a new nightmare. But my thing is like, I don't know. I know that I don't understand evolution to its fullest point. I mean, I accept it. I'm not stupid. <laughs> but um, just the fact that these things are like, huh, how do we better catch... Things flying around in the dark. Oh, we need lights. How do we get those lights? Well, um, I'm going to learn how to light up. Okay, that's cool. Now we're lighting up. But we're still not able to catch them. What could we... I'm pissing right now. Can we use this? Can we use this piss? And uh, I kind of got a runny nose. Can this... How does... I mean, I'm just wasting it. I'm just wasting it now. I feel like I could put this to good use. Like, this is good product. And I understand the jellyfish because like, they're like, hey, we don't have to have the same defense... And we're, you know, there's a bunch of us. We don't want to be bumping into each other. Everything jellyfish... is perfect here. This is our jellyfish utopia. Yeah, it's not like some asshole hominoids are going to, like, evolve into, like, developing some kind of ability to come in here and swim all the time and kill us. Play fucking chicken in our perfect utopia. For the fucking fun of it. Hate it. I hate them. But not jellyfish. But then my thing is, like, okay, do jellyfish, are they immune to each other's stings? Surely they they swim in all kinds of shit. But then, I don't know what came first. Probably this one, but I saved it for last. Because it grosses you out, and I think it's fucking fascinating. If you've been on TikTok, you've been on Twitter, you've been on any social media, you've probably seen this floating around. Because you know this weird science shit floats around Reddit. 
and Tumblr and people like to comment and then people like to take screenshots of those comments. And if you break them down, they're all the same kind of comments where it's like somebody knows something and they find it and then they get to unload their like whole mind of knowledge. And then that's how we normal people learn stuff about cool things. So it turns out um, you don't like eels. I do not like eels. Ew, God, they don't got no legs or arms. But you like snakes? Or chins. Snakes are fine. Snakes have chins. But, so this is the thing. I don't particularly care for any of the animals that go in water, per se. I think they're fine and great. I don't want them to touch me or look at me. I don't want to be in their environment. That's theirs, not mine. You're I don't right. want to see them or think but about But you did them. want to go boop jellyfish. But they're so cute. They just look like plastic bags floating around. No, they are so beautiful. They're they're like angels. Water angels? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> so that prompted me to be like, you know that I was that I've seen something and then I had to read about it cuz I can't just see something and then just believe it that like they don't really know where eels come from? Yeah. They know their life s- stages. They know how they develop. They know they reproduce somehow, but then they don't really know where they come from. Ew. And I'm probably, why are you doing this to yourself? You're looking it up um, just to look at your fear. But um, there's a bunch of stuff out there on this. I did find one that's uh, from the New Yorker. It says, where do eels come from? And... <laughs> In the spring of 1876, a young man of 19 arrived in the seaside city of Trieste. Again, I'm buzzed and reading this and I can't read. And set about a curious task. Every morning as the fisherman brought in the catch, he went to meet them at the port where he bought eels by the dozens and then the hundreds. He carried them home to a dissection table in the corner of his room and from 8 until noon when he broke for lunch. And then again from 1 until 6 when he quit for the day, he went to... Ogle the women on the street. He diligently slashed away in that search of like go- an eel person. He diligently slashed away in search of gonads. <gasps> Wait, is he doing this to the women or the eels? Yeah. My hands are stained by the white and red blood of the sea creatures. He wrote to a friend. All I see when I close my eyes is a shimmering dead tissue, which haunts my dreams. And all I can think about are the big questions, the ones that go hand in hand with testicles and ovaries, the universal pivotal questions. Hey, I did God. not know this was going this way. How about you stop slashing eels for a minute and do something normal? The young man, whose name was Sigmund Freud. Oh, it makes sense. Oh, for real? Eventually followed his evolving questions in other directions. But knee-deep, knee-deep, elbow-deep in slime, he hoped to be the first person to find what men of science had been seeking for thousands of years. The testicles of an eel. To see them would be to begin to solve a profound mystery, one that had stumped Aristotle and countless successors throughout the history of natural science. Where do eels come from? The 19th century had brought Darwin and Mendel, Pasteur and Mendeleev, and a growing sense that scientists, a word coined only in the 1830s, with their studies and their systems and their microscopes were at least equal to solving the great quandaries of the natural world. Questions that had befuddled mankind for centuries. Where life come from? (laughs) Where life come from? (laughs) Where come from? Um, This is because I'm reading The New Yorker. Um, I was like, damn, this is getting detailed. What is it made of? How it changes? Why it ends? <laughs> We're now seen as knowledgeable, qu- quantifiable, explicable. 
just two years before exploitable exploitable i was trying to think of did they need a a print like a thing in the weir but not the were okay just two years before freud arrived the german biologist max schultz lying on his deathbed observed perhaps wistfully that he was leaving a world where all the important questions and now had had now been settled all of them that except is that is except the eel question what could be more ordinary than an eel not so long ago european eels were widely eaten Ooh. in sweden they might be smoked braised in beer or fried in butter in italy boiled in tomato sauce in england jellied in stock or fried with eggs into an elver cake they were a simple and abundant food enjoyed by members of the poorer classes like the cockney women described in king lear who accidentally puts them in a pie still alive people caught eels in brooks rivers lakes the sea they also caught them inexplicably in ponds that dried out and refilled each year and that had no access to other bodies of water they couldn't help but notice that the creature seemed to have no ovaries no testicles no eggs no milt yeah i was wondering where their milch was i'm very thankful for all of those people that ate all of those eels that are no longer present <laughs> That they were never observed to mate. That they sometimes seem to issue from the earth itself, which is flat, by the way. Eels were unaccountable. And so writes the Swedish journalist Patrick Svensson in the Book of Eels. Ooh, there's a book of eels. God damn it. An unusual and beguiling guide to an unusual and beguiling animal. It fell to us to try our best to account for them. The ancient Egyptians believed that eels were produced by the sun warming the Nile. Aristotle decided that eels emerged spontaneously from mud and rainwater. Pliny the Elder thought that new eels developed when old eel rubbed away parts of their bodies on rocks. Makes sense. As late as the 1860s, a Scottish author espoused an old belief that they began their lives as beetles. Some believed eels were born of sea foam. Svensson writes, or created when the rays of sun fell on a certain kind of dew that covered lake shores and riverbanks in the spring. Is this romantic Asheville? In the English countryside where eel fishing was popular, most people adhered the, to the theory that eels were born when hairs from horses' tails fell into the water. Yeah. I love these theories. We have been really dumb before. Also before? now. The truth emerged only slowly and was, in its own slippery way, stranger than the fiction. Careful observers discovered that what had long been taken for several different kinds of animals were in fact just one. The eel was a creature of metamorphosis. Transforming, it, transforming itself over the course of its life into four distinct beings. A tiny gossamer larva with huge eyes floating toward Europe in the open sea. A shimmering glass eel known as an elver, a few inches in length with visible insides, making its way along coasts and up rivers. A yellow-brown eel, the kind you might catch in ponds, which can move across dry land, habitate in mud Fuck until you've forgotten that. it was ever there, and live quietly for half a century in a single place. Ugh. And finally, the silver eel, a long, powerful musker that ripples its way back to sea. When this last metamorphosis happens, the eel's stomach dissolves. It will travel thousands of miles on its fat reserves alone, and its reproductive organs develop for the first time. In the eels of Europe, no one could find those organs because they did not yet exist. But, even as these answers were arrived at, the eel question, as it's widely known, proved to be as challengeable as the eel it seemed to be forever unsolvable for behind any eel answer there were always another eel question <laughs> shrouded by more layers of mystery i feel like i've read that sentence weird we know then that the old eels vanish from our kin into the sea and that the sea sends us in return innumerable hosts of elvers 
a Danish searcher, Johannes Schmidt, wrote. But whither they have wandered, these old eels, and whence have their errors come? Schmidt began consumed by his questions. In 1904, he left his family in Copenhagen and set out to scour the seas for the very smallest of eels. For seven years, he thralled the coasts of Europe, but found only larger larvae. For another three years, he enlisted shipping companies to net larvae as they piled the North Atlantic, plied the North Atlantic, and turned his own schooner, his schooner, <laughs> west and south. This is my favorite article I've ever read. Net by net. I'm sufficiently nauseous. <laughs> net by net, he mapped the ocean according to which parts of it contained eel larvae and how large those larvae were, until the tiniest ones led him to their point of origin. It was a slow process made slower by a shipwreck in a world war. Finally, 19 years after he first set out, can you imagine? Schmidt announced his findings. How long the journey lasts, we cannot say, he wrote, summoning the grandeur warranted by the occasion. But we know now that the destination sought. A certain area situated in the western Atlantic, northeast and north of the West Indies, here lie the breeding grounds of the eel. Schmidt had traced that word, I can't say, to Sargos, Sargasso Sea, a sea within a sea, a garden of seaweed bounded not by land, but by great currents of water. The American eel breeds there as well, and it's still something of a mystery how the larvae, all mixed together but genetically distinct, know how continent is their future home. How Know which continent is their future home. That's fucking weird. The Japanese eel has its own breeding grounds in the Pacific, and other famous freshwater eel, the electric one of South America, is not actually an eel at all. It's a knife fish. Schmidt's discovery was an answer Somehow and <laughs> in the past century, no one has successfully challenged it. That European eels come from the Sargosa Sea remains the official word of science. But as with that sea and the animals born there, the boundaries of this knowledge are fluid and strange. Many expeditions have followed Schmidt to the breeding grounds in the decades since, each with better technology than the last. They too have found plenty of larvae. But when one expedition collected and examined 7,000 fish eggs, not one of them turned out to be from an eel. Scientists have put GPS trackers on silver eels beginning with their migration. They've used hormones to, to bring females into heat, weirdos, transported them to the breeding grounds, and attached them to buoys to use their pheromones as bait. They've dropped microphones into the water and opened the stomachs of predators, and yet no one has ever seen them mating anywhere or so much as set eyes on a mature eel living or dead in the Sargosa Sea. When Svensson was a child in Sweden, he spent many evenings with his father, a road paver on the banks of a stream that ran past his father's childhood home. This article is long as shit. Together as dusk fell, they would rig and bait their lines and throw them into the stream, then drive home to the swooping of bats. At sunrise, they checked to see which hooks had been taken by, I don't know why, had been taken by yellow-brown eels that they collected in buckets and ate fried or boiled. His father relished the taste, but Svensson found it nauseating. It was the fishing and the time with his father that he loved. He described his father as a thoughtful man, fascinated by all the strange and wonderful forms life took, but most of all by the peculiarity of eels. They're odd eels, Dad would say. <laughs> the editor of this article deserves to be fired. And he always seemed mildly delighted when he said it, and though he needed the mystery, as though it filled some kind of emptiness in him, once the pair tried an old Swedish fishing method that involved stringing lots of worms on a thread and then rolling them into a quivering, stinking ball of slime and secretions with writhing bodies. God damn! To catch the necessary worms, Svensson's father attached electric cables to the prongs of a pitchfork sunk into a freshly watered lawn, creating a surge of electricity that brought a wave of panicked worms wriggling to the surface. 
With the worm ball, they would catch eel after eel, more than they'd ever caught before, like pulling carrots out of a vegetable patch. But they didn't do it again. There was no struggle in it. No mystery or chance or... <laughs> I love how they're worms and eels and you hate both of these things. It didn't tally with what we yeah, wanted... I'm almost dead. ...the eel to be. Maybe we'd gotten too close to it. Swenson's book, like its subject, is a strange beast, a creature of metamorphosis, a shapeshifter that moves along the realms. It is a book of natural history and a memoir about a son and his father. It also has an exploration of literature and religion and custom and what means to live in a world full of questions that we can't always answer. Swenson writes on page one that the ilk eludes the usual measure of the world, and as the book progresses, he begins to see other things as similarly elusive. He has seen eels that appear to be dead but are not, and eels that are really dead, chopped up and frying in butter, but even but still move as they were alive to the ill death seemed relative he writes he has learned that the timing of the ill's final transformation the one that brings it to both its own death and the birth of the next generation seems to be unrelated to time itself ills might feel the pull to return to the sea after eight years inland or nearly 60 or never remaining behind in sort of suspended animation the ills that travel together across the ocean might be the same stage of life yet decades apart in age svensson is captivated by the implication of this you have to ask yourself how does a creature like that perceive time, he wonders. Have you seen the time knife? Ew. Svensson's grandmother was a believer in both God and gnomes. His father was not a believer, and neither is Svensson. Their skepticism faltered only where the ill was concerned. When his grandmother was dying, she told Svensson, I will always be with you, and he immediately trusted her. I didn't need to believe in God to believe that. Eventually, Svensson's father became sick with cancer, likely a result of his years paving roads, breathing in the steam of asphalt. In the summers before the diagnosis, Vincent had often visited him. We drank coffee, talked about eels, we'd caught eels, we'd lost, and not much else. As his father faded, Svensson lingered over the mysteries of time and existence, the watery border between death and life. He read Rachel Carson, who kept a tank of eels in her office and made an eel named Anguilla a protagonist in her of her first book, Under the Sea Wind. Uh, she lived in the pleasantly warm mud of a pond, beyond all reminders of the sea that another of herselves once knew. Still one day she felt the urge to depart her current life, her current self, to transform. Okay. This article is making me feel like I ate the bioluminescent mushrooms. But I'm still trying to figure out, like, this, ah, woof. I thought, okay, I'm backing out of it. I'm backing out. I was just trying to figure out um, how ills are made. I didn't need it to get so, like, fancy. Um... Let's see. Dun, dun, dun. I demand accountability from eels. They are too smart. I would like for them to please explain themselves. Right. So, um, I want to try to find somebody that's read it. Um, so, like, when Reddit, you talk about, like, there's there's no one that's been able to track a, an eel past. Basically... Because I can't read that New Yorker. I don't even know how much longer it went. And I was liking some of it because some it of it was... prank? Some of it was blowing my mind. Like, what do you mean they don't conceive time? No, um... But basically, what it was getting at is, like, the same thing I told you is... The stuff I've seen is they can... They find every little stage it has. The larva. They know where they go. They know that they must reproduce somehow, but they have no fucking idea where it starts. They've not seen them fucking. They've not seen them have eggs. They've not seen where the larva comes from. It's like they just pop up. But I think it's weird that they come from like, and that's another thing that I saw earlier when I was researching it, kind of, was that 
eels here, like American eels, have they still like migrate all the way to this point, and then they come back, and it's like, it's just fucking weird. Like I don't understand. And I was looking up, trying to look up pictures of their life cycle, and you were like, "Ew, I can't, I can't look at it." Yeah, I feel like after all of this new ill knowledge that I have, my disdain for eels is well founded. So they're terrible. They, I think they assume there's there's spawning egg something glacial the elver the yellow eel and they grow um and it kind of reminds it makes me think of and maybe they just i couldn't find that they discovered it all of that can stay the hell away from me i couldn't figure out or find where they had discovered that they had eggs no they don't have eggs that's the eel question the eel question um which will probably never get answered the question of life might get answered before the eel question that's so weird Eels are fucking weird. Zero of ten. And I was reading that and like trying to stumble through it with a buzz. Hopefully it made sense. Hopefully it was entertaining. Hopefully it gained some knowledge. Look up eels yourself. Look up that New Yorker article. Finish it if you want. I'm going to have to finish it. Also, stay away from eels and forget they exist because it's not worth it. Right. Do you need to read the book of eels? I do fucking not. Isn't that in the Bible? Is that like right after Revelation? (laughs) It must be. It was like the director's cut. Ew. Um, but with, with the eels, um, it made me think of the newt we saw Oh, one time we were hiking. That was our friend. And, um, we almost, you almost stepped on it and something pushed you back. Yeah. Um, but it was like the newt and it was bright orange and that was its like adolescent stage. And even then it was probably like seven to 13 years old. Yep. And then it doesn't even fully mature till it's like 20. I don't fucking know. And I That's almost a long stepped time. on it, and then I had a weird stagger out of nowhere and looked down, and there was a bright orange newt. It's in one of our pictures somewhere, but yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, we think it's interesting. If you know where eels come from, please tell us. Um, if you were an eel, please come clean. I decided that it. I didn't have enough information from that article, but I don't think I can find any. I must know. I must know where those slimy things come from. And they can live in the dirt. And they can walk on read your land. thoughts. Nobody said they can walk on land. I just think they can wriggle on land. Which is much worse. It's so weird. And so little we know about our oceans. Hm. Yeah, and I think it's best that way. Leave it alone. Space oceans. I mean, UFOs live in the ocean sometimes. I'm okay with them. Um, but we are coming up on an hour and that was all of our mind-blowing mysteries creature creature but i i said okay well these are like real mysteries like we know the lightning bugs are real they're crazy we know these glowworms are real the owls have good theories um but you know i kind of i kind of lied when i said we knew all because nobody knows where eels come from i know where they can go to away from me (laughs) um so yeah that's it if you have any other weird shit that you know about nature or the world or real things or people or eels send it to us we'll talk about it we need a listener story at some point um we keep getting stories from people and some of them are fucking long so they're gonna be it's gonna be a thing Um, i can't wait for listener stories right and we're trying to get stuff together with nightgeist to do stuff for stuff and things it's gonna be fun 
Because one of the other minds... You'll see. You'll all see. You'll all see. Uh, but yeah, and some of it will be fun and a little bit different and on YouTube. So if you haven't already, go follow us on social media. That's where you can get the pins. I meant to say that. The pins you can't get online. You'll have to send them to... You have to DM us on Instagram and tell us you want a pin. They're like $13. It's fine. They glow. They're cool. They're bioluminescent. Just like owls. And, and nobody knows where they come from. They're not slimy like glowworms. Or eels. Ew. Um, but that is all that I've got was the New Yorker article. <laughs> the New Yorker never really disappoints, does it? How you... Our producer is biting me, probably because it's time. Yes. But um, we'll see you again. We've got um, some interviews to try to get scheduled with some um, some fun people. And we've got an investigation. And we're just going to keep doing drunk stuff till we find a ghost again. Yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> it better not be an ill ghost or I quit. We do have stuff planned. We just have to... Do, they have to come. Yeah. We just had a little run of investigations it seemed like all we were talking about was bigfoot this and ghost that dolls this which we might end up with more dolls we'll have to <laughs> apparently this is the hex files home for where we're dolls now yeah if you or someone you love or don't love has a doll send it to us where am i going to put them in your other house well until next time this has been whatever this is We'll probably make it a series when we think of other weird shit while we drink. Ew. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>